seven years just working. I didn't do anything else. Like, I didn't travel, I didn't holiday, nothing. It was just seven years of just trying to push, not just Aftershock, but other companies that I started. My original dream before I did the company was to be a balance tester for RTS games. Like, I recently started playing playing uh, League of Legends, and I played 2,000 games. It's funny, it's just an interesting question. Like, why invisibility? I really should ask myself that own question. Just, I've always been a person that likes, likes, likes to disappear into the background. Even the fact that I'm doing this podcast is not normal. Hello, hello, welcome back to Edric Boone and Company, the podcast where anybody can inspire everybody. Our guest this week is Mr. Marcus Wee, founder and MD of Aftershock PC, a custom PC builder that hand assembles your PCs tailored to your specifications. I met Marcus a couple of years ago at a, a consumer electronics show and I found his mind to be extremely sharp. Yes, he talks fast, but his mind is even sharper. Plus, he's fueled by this extremely competitive spirit of, of, of his that I really want to dwell into and find out a little bit more about Aftershock story just for you. Let's get on to the podcast. All right. Hey, Marcus, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. All right, man. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to, um, you know, do this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. No worries. I thought it would be an interesting conversation. Yeah, man. Hey, uh, now you've told this story many, many times already, especially with that article that came back with you uh, and your brother being a 2020 uh, Entrepreneur or Singaporean of the Year nomination. Now, um, first question is really, you started out in 2012. You've covered that, yes, your first shop is in Serangoon, but you got yep. the idea while you were in Australia. Uh, what exactly, right, did you do in Australia and what made you kind of pick all these things up and kind of bring a new model back to Singapore? So actually, it was in Canada that we got the idea. Um, Canada? Well, I was a foreign student for quite a number of years. So, you know, I was, I was based in, before I was based in Singapore, then Australia, then I went to Canada for exchange. And because I lived in a boarding school, um, mm. the, the laptop was a big deal to me, like a gaming laptop, because it was out as a boarding school student, that's your, your source of entertainment. Um, you know, we have students from the local vicinity, like all the other Australians or the Canadians. And after school, they go home, they, they do whatever. But us, the Asian students living there in the boarding house, um, our only source of entertainment is the gaming laptops that we have. So we get on land and play games. And essentially, that made the gaming laptop really matter. And I'm an obsessive person, and I was really obsessed with the laptops that I had. And, you know, whatever my parents were willing to buy me at the time. So which was uh, not exactly a gaming model, but I would obsess over the gaming models. So when I went to Canada, uh, which when I was much older, for exchange program when I was studying in university, um, I looked at buying a laptop while I was in Canada and I bought from one of the boutique firms that is actually based in the US, but they ship to Canada. So I was very impressed by the experience as well as the product. So that's where I was really inspired and I really wondered why um, Singapore didn't offer such a service. In fact, at the time when we came in, um, the price of gaming laptops in Singapore were extremely inflated. Like a laptop that would cost you a thousand three, a thousand four in the US would easily cost three grand in Singapore. So this could be due to volume and also the fact that there's economies of scale um, in the US. And of course, in Singapore, you know, you have a smaller volume, you have a smaller population. And on top of that, you need to offer, you know, the same level of servicing and economies of scale really helps with that. And yeah, of course, we learn all that as we delve into the business. But that was the, the trigger point when I bought a product in the US, from the US basically when I was in Canada. And I really liked the experience, not just the product itself, which we eventually went to the same factory that made those products, uh, 
um, because we, we absolutely love the product. Um, and at that time, that factory was really a leader in terms of the enthusiast category products. Like they went for products that were more workstation looking, but we really liked the contents of the products themselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. so just wondered why no one was doing it here. And that's what, that was the trigger. But I didn't immediately do it. Interesting. And you were talking about the experience, right? Now, what is this experience? Or what was the experience like for you? When it, was it so, from the start that you ordered it? Or is it because you walked into the shop and they just treated you differently? What was it like? Well, it wasn't. It was, I bought it from an e-commerce store. So the, the, and essentially, it was the, everything about the sales process, like talking to someone that actually knew what's going on. I mean, before that, you know, Singapore used to be almost 100%. Um, when you buy a PC, it's either from you know, similar where you're DIY, or if you buy a lap- gaming laptop, you go to Challenger or you go to uh, a Superstore, you know, one of the best, whichever. And typically, um, it's a challenge to find um, someone who will talk tech with you, who will talk specs with you, like to go into detail, right? Like have a conversation about, let's say that there are three graphics cards. Back then, it was, but back then when I first got into this, it was it was a 600 series, 6080M, you know, 6060M, 6070M, whatnot. And you couldn't really have a conversation with anyone about these things all the way back then. Like, like if you want to have a conversation, let's say um, I want to run back then the games like Warcraft 3, um, games like Company of Heroes, the first in that series, and I want to run it in this resolution, this settings, I couldn't have a conversation with a salesperson about any of these things. Whereas when I spoke to the American company, I was really impressed. They, they know what's going on. They know their user demographic. They really, they're, they're, they're off the same uh, user base and they sort of know what you're looking for. So you can have a conversation and you don't feel like you're trying to explain what you're looking for at all. They immediately know. So that was the first impressive part. And second, secondly was how they followed up with the actual sale itself all the way to the delivery, you know, how they follow up with you the entire way. And even after receiving the product, if you have questions, it's really easy to get a hold of them. You can just get someone on the line. You can talk about the product. You can get things set up right, basically. So it was just the whole feeling of being like covered from end to end. It's not just about you know selling a product. Not to say the Singapore stores are bad. I mean, it's just, it's just that we have a very generic style of doing things here back then. And it's still very much the same way for big you know, malls and whatnot. Right. And now you've brought... When you started out right in Singapore, now you uh, opened up the company, you basically cashed out your entire insurance policy and you got money from investors, from family and all this. Now, you took a super all or nothing approach. You just basically yeah. said, this is it and I will make it happen. Is Was that the mentality when you, you started the company? Yeah, pretty much. So when we, I wanted to do the company all the way when I was in university, when I came back in um, from Canada to SMU and I actually presented it in an entrepreneurship class. So all the way from there, I really wanted to do this, this business model. But, you know, back then I was a bit more like, I was also quite reserved and a bit realistic and I didn't have the funds for it. So I went down to work at a multinational corporations for, you know, just like two or three years. And I saved up some money as well as, um, uh, I mean, I got some help from family initially when we started. So it was really all or nothing. Like I was working as an IT administrator at a, at, at a research facility. And essentially, um, my colleague who was doing everything with me, he was an American guy, he left. So I was alone. And I decided maybe then was the time to get started. So I spoke to a partner and shared the idea and wanted to go ahead. So we started planning and yeah, it was all—it was pretty much all or nothing. But you know, I was—I was not very mature back then. It's, it's not like I had some magical mindset. I was just—I I just went into it and just thought, okay, I'll try to do this. I didn't really think of the consequences. Also, quite, um, yeah, wasn't so far-sighted at that time. Yeah. Did you have a plan B? Um, no, no plan B at all. But there was a lot of fear because, like, you know, my parents, my my, my dad, and my parents were quite skeptical at first. 
of course, they warmed up a lot later. Um, so, you know, I, I really wanted to, I, I, I was really afraid at the time of, you know, if, if I screwed up, like the, it would be held on me forever. So that was um, quite a driver for me, actually. <laughs> Right. So, so uh, you know, you hear this in a lot of like uh, business or, or leadership uh, talks, right? Or motivational talks as well. Some entrepreneurs right, are so fueled by either their will to succeed or it's that, that fear, right, to fail. So in, yeah. your, in, in your side, you don't believe in plan B, I think. And you just yeah. went straight forward. Was it that fear or that insecurity just kept you going? Yeah, I, I, I think at that time, uh, wanting to succeed was probably 30 percent uh the fear of failure was probably 70 percent i think fear of failure is, a, is something that a lot of um entrepreneurs don't like to talk about because everybody loves to paint like a beautiful story um but yeah i mean it's a, it's a very real thing right like in singapore and not just singapore in the world today with social media we're all very um affected by how others perceive us and we shouldn't be obviously but it, it definitely plays a factor even subconsciously right and your first shop do you remember going shopping for it, looking around and saying, hey, this is the place, I, I must have it? Or were you looking around different places and you said, eh, maybe this is the, best it was, the cheapest one? It, it, we wanted to get started ASAP because, you know, with, with business like ours, we order products in from overseas and it takes months to come, like really ages for production and for it to come. So we wanted to make sure the products had somewhere to land when they arrived. So we were on a ticking timer and we wanted to find the right location. And in, at that time, budget was a big concern. So we pretty much went for the biggest space we got to get at a, at a most reasonable price. And yeah, it wasn't the most glamorous uh, space, but you know, it was, it was pretty spacious. We were okay with it. We looked at a couple of properties um, and this one was the, was like, I was like four grand a month for like 1,800 square feet. And it was relatively central. Though the parking really sucked at that spot. But as we all didn't drive at that point in time, we, we didn't think too much about it, but we wanted to be mostly focus on deliveries at, at that point in time. So, yeah, I mean, we were quite happy with the space that we found. We thought it was quite a steal compared to everything else in the location. And, uh, you know, you opened up with the e-commerce model, um, but do you also remember your first ever walk-in customer? Yeah, of course. It was like we rolled out the red carpet for the guy and he really, he really negotiated the hell out with us. But, you know, we wanted proof of concept. We wanted people to try our products. And yeah, he loved it. He, he posted about it and more and more people came. Like, so that's just part and parcel of starting a business. You want to win customers over. Like, you get, get people to try your products. If you truly believe in your products, you want to get it in the hands of people. And if it's good, people are naturally going to talk about it. In between from that day all the way until now, you've expanded huge, huge amounts. I mean, just the place in Mandemir, it is huge. Um, but now we also want to talk a little bit more about your growth and your international expansion, right? At yep. what point in your business planning did you actually go, I just want to do Singapore? Am I going to go global? Or was it that I want to start regional first? I mean, it, that's a very hard question, right? Because um, in, in, in our line of business, in com for com like computers and computer components, um, it's not just about wanting to grow. Um, there's several reasons for a business wanting to grow. Um, one of the big ones is, you know, employee empowerment, because when people follow you, when people work for your company, you got to create opportunity for them. Um, you know, a lot of good and capable people, they don't just want the status quo. Uh, they want progression. They want a path forward. They want to see that there's a vision for the company. And that's one driver for, for expansion and growth. And the other is because you need scale, right? You need scale to be able to produce advantages for your company. So one, one reason why Aftershock is in such an advantageous position now, why we were able to take you know, that amount of market share is significantly bigger than the nearest competitors. It's simple. 
Um, when we have multiple countries, we have huge scale. We buy components in huge bulk, and we're able to offer you know a better a, a better combination of components for the same price as the competitors do. And there's not there's nothing to do with anything other than the fact that you know instead of ordering 100 SSDs, I'm ordering 10,000, and that just means I'm able to negotiate better for better prices, and our customers win in the end. So that's another big driver for scale. Of course, the third is you know just wanting to grow the company and your own ambition, but I'll say for me, the first two are definitely more of the major, more of the major uh, driving factors for me wanting to scale and wanting to expand the company. Yeah, but yeah, definitely, I think number two is a big one to me. Like right now, if you look, if you were to look at the product offerings we have and just compare spec to spec with anywhere else in Singapore, we're already offering a, like it's quite hard to beat. It's, and it's just purely because of scale. That's a very interesting perspective. I never saw it as the economy of scale part, and I really love the first point that you brought up, which was employee empowerment. What are one of the things that um, makes Aftershock culture uniquely Aftershock? I would say that, I mean, the culture has changed a lot as the company grew. Um, it, I, I, felt, it, I felt the early days were absolute perfection. Like, everybody was, like, so gunning for it. You know, as you get bigger, it's harder to maintain that. I think we're, we're, work, we're working very hard on improving and always evolving and learning from it. It definitely isn't simple. Like, there's when it comes to people, there's just so many factors. Like, like a big thing, a big belief of mine is that if somebody is giving their all for you, um, you got to make sure that they can get rewarded. As simple as that. Especially if the company does well. And, but it's very difficult because you know, even a company, maybe there's 150, 200 people, everyone thinks they're doing well. Like everyone thinks they're giving their all, but. From, from a perspective of the team leaders or whatnot, you can really see who's performing, who's not. But, you know, you have to be able to reward those who are performing well and who are delivering and who are trying their best. And there's a mixture because you have people who are extremely capable, who are not extremely uh, hardworking or driven, which have their have their place and they're really, they're really important to the company. And you also have people who may not be as magically capable or may not be as magically talented, but they work hella hard and they hella deserve that recognition as well. So the company's job is to identify these two types of people. And yeah, it's, it's definitely challenging. We learn a lot because, you know, you hire lots of young people, you know, sometimes expectations are not aligned and not set early and you just have to learn as you go. And yeah, there's something that we're working on. We're very happy with the progress that we've made. Um, the company is split into quite a number of departments. So I, I would say, I, I wouldn't be realistic here. Like quite a number of departments are very are very good. I love the culture. There's some that where we need to improve things. Um, and yeah, definitely as a company, we just try to keep going. That's all. Right. I'm sure that this entire journey, right, has also given you a lot of um, introspective insight uh, to what areas you are strong in, what areas that perhaps you need to grow in as well. Now, when you went through this entire process and trying to build the company further, right, what were the areas in, in that you went, okay, I really need to get somebody to do this for me because I can't do this part. So I'm I'm pretty I'm, I'm quite an obsessive person. So I spent years trying to tank everything myself. Like in fact, I was involved in the service department and everything, and that's why the company got some quite a lot of good reviews and stuff. Um, like for years, and I couldn't let go of it. It was like there's just so much fear if I had it over, it wouldn't go exactly the way I want. And I had to learn the hard way that you have to let go past a certain point. Like when it gets to certain big certain size, that you have to let people try. Like you have to let people try, and you have to let them screw up, because when you let people take over. You can't expect they're going to take over and everything's going to go super smooth. They're going to have to, you're going to have to let them do it, let them experience a wide variety of challenges, and then they're going to screw some of them up. And that's how people grow and how people move forward. Um, what's important is just to take it constructively. 
And if you ask me like what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, I, I know for sure I'm, I'm, a, I'm a strategic person very much. I'm very good at doing product strategy, product positioning. Um, I'm very good at, you know, setting up the products in such a way that it's very hard for uh, most of the competitors to compete. Like just, just because we position a better product uh, for the target market than almost everyone. And yeah, as the biggest player now, you know, we've got, essentially got a bullseye on us. Every, everybody is, uh, <laughs> is looking at us and um, essentially, you know, that's where product position comes in. But if you ask me what I'm weak at, yeah, I'm weak at process flow. I mean, that's where I, I bring in professionals, people who have expertise in this area, try to help us. And every every business owner, not just every business owner, in the business there might be multiple partners. Every every partner brings something different to the table. I'm, I'm just a product guy. My partner, who's actually my brother, he's the marketing guy. So we have very different skill sets and I'm actually grateful for that. Like if you have a company with three founders and all founders have the same skill set, that's just not the most balanced um, sort of setup. But yeah, like delegation is a big thing. You need to delegate work to people, things that you're not good at, you got to trust them. And, and even if you disagree, you got to get them to have a shot at it. Yeah, they, they could yeah. they could uh, surprise us in some ways, right? Actually doing oh, yeah. something different, but yet getting a great result from it at the end. Yeah, I've been surprised uh, quite a number of times, like like pleasantly surprised by you know them just doing something and doing it differently from how, how I would have done it. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, that's better than how I would have done it. So, I mean, of course, it's gone the other way as well. Like, quite terribly <laughs> but yeah but it's just life right like you live and learn okay now back to the strategy right um of your international expansion and probably global conquest and domination uh, that's that's probably what you're looking for right um where why why malaysia why australia okay australia is the country i grew up in um i, I grew up in singapore till i was like 13 and i spent like five years in australia and i have a lot of close friends there uh, it's also a market which i feel is quite laid back and I also like, and I, and I also like, the, I also like the place a lot and the people, and it's just a place where we, we wanted to do business. It was very natural. We had contacts there. Um, I'm very familiar with the place. Um, we love the gaming communities there, and it's it's. I mean, it's in our side of the world, and yeah, and Malaysia is obvious. Like it's just the, the the simplest expansion path, and with a bigger market, and you know that the product the product lineups over in Malaysia are not don't have to be as complex. Um, because the, the demographic also uh, looks for specifically, uh, like, like for example, for laptops, the, the, the 1650 and the 3050 models are very popular over there. So the product planning is uh, it's also more straightforward. Um, it's also, obviously, to get the scale that we wanted. And Malaysia and Australia are the most straightforward for us, like the lowest hanging, basically lowest hanging fruit in terms of the execution. We had contacts there. We, had, we knew people. We knew, that we knew the locations fairly well, what the customers were looking for. So that's why we chose these two countries first. Right. And what's next for you then? Um, well, there's quite a number of things. We are we're actually, there's some stuff that I can share and can't share. And um, that we are in talk with, with like all I can say is we're in talks with external parties as well. And um, we want to do more expansion, obviously, we're hoping to do Southeast Asia and possibly other countries. So we'll see how that goes. But in the end, the, the end game is to get, you know, a, a kick-ass volume, like so that we're at a size where we can offer absolutely untouchable deals in Singapore, for example. It's really pretty hard. If you take a look at our, our website, it's pretty hard like to find deals similar to ours. Like, 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 like it's gone to the point where competitors will try to poke holes in what we have, but it's pretty hard because we list everything black and white. Um, right now, that's our policy and we're moving heavily that way. We list like if you want to buy a PC from us, every component is listed in black and white and the deals are really hard to beat. They offer a lot for what you're paying for. And yeah, it's, having more skill will just give us more bargaining power 
uh, more access to uh, you know just items that you couldn't get without volume, like access, exclusive asset access. Uh, that would make just our PCs better and better and really hard to beat. And one big thing there is just the ability to develop our own products as well. Like if you have volume and scale, you can approach factories and you can customize and develop your own products. Like some factories require a certain volume that can't be achieved by having one or two countries. So that's another driving force. When you started the business, it was the interest to be able to build your own PCs. Yeah, it was just, I love the products. Like mm-hmm. when I started the business, I was absolutely obsessed with laptops. I, I really liked gaming laptops back then. So that, that's why I chose that. And it's just my love for it. But of course, over the years, it, it's become a, a mix of love and, and sort of practical uh, sort of feelings towards it. Because obviously, when you see tech products every day, um, you, you, the, you know, the excitement kind of gets dulled a little bit. I still love hardware so much, but it's not like before when I see an unboxing, it feels like <laughs> it's just so, so excited. Yeah. Like back when I was younger, like, you know, I see like a high-end graphics card. I'll be like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. But, you know, do you still actually get hands-on? Do you actually go into the back and say, hey, look, I'm going to build something new. You guys all leave me alone. I'm just going to do this first. No, not as often because my, my main role now is, I mean, not say building, is I get hands-on in terms of the planning, the selection of components. So I'll get hands-on with the components, the testing of the components and just making sure it's what we want before it goes into that production line. So I'm very hands-on with that, like the, the product planning, the product development. But in terms of actual assembly, once once that's been set up by me, so let's say me and the product team uh, plan, plans a product and the product is conceptualized um, and eventually it hits the production line, I won't be I won't be actively on the production line, maybe only at the start to make sure everything goes according to our plan. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the development of the product itself, I'm, I'm, I'm the one most involved. Like I, I, I select most of what appears on and upon the businesses still. How do you make... Uh, PCs or custom PCs more exciting? Well, it really depends. Like, There's, there's many angles from which a, a company like us can go. So um, there's the aesthetic angle, obviously, um, creating products that look beautiful because com- computers are pretty um, generic, so to speak, that a few major manufacturers make most of the core components. Um, aesthetics is one way, like making the thing simply beautiful and you know having better airflow, which is not aesthetic, but you know it's, it's part of the entire like package that people see. And the next thing is the fine details. So by fine details, I think I mean things like solid state drives. Like we were the first to bring in a solid state drive locally uh, under, or under our custom PC brand as a 7,100 MBS SSD. So uh, one, one thing we get to do as the market leader is um, we get to set the pace. So we set a three-year warranty, one-year on-site. Everyone follows suit. Like that's the, like we set that first and all companies set the same policy. So if we were to set it to three years and two years on-site now, I, I think... <laughs> you see everybody follows suit and the next thing is um, I mean there's nothing wrong there's just competition right people move people try to one up each other I think I think that's cool like sometimes um, if a competitor does something we think is interesting we'll try to beat as well it's just part and parcel of competition and you know I, I, I've learned to take things a lot less personally over the years and just try to focus on you know it's just like a game you just try to focus on winning offering the best deal doing the best for your customers simple as that we just try to offer the best do our best and in the end people come back to us because they love the products and services and the the other thing is um i would say is um like yeah like i said like just setting the setting the little details into place like a 7100 mbs solid state drive you know an in-house aio water cooler that we can bundle with the machines that we get in bulk so you know aios are quite heavily marked up by brands so we go direct and these aios and coolers that we buy are from the same brands they we go to the factory that makes it for the mnc brands and 
we get it direct. It's the actual same product, the same performance, but because we buy it in bulk and we don't take it under the brand name, we take it under our own, customers are able to get that exact same product for a much better price. And it's all these little details that we fine tweak and tune on our products that really give our products an edge. And, you know, when you're talking about all these, again, all, all the technical specifications and all this, you have to train the guys at the back, right? Or do they already, when you're hiring them, they already, they're always updated. It's their job to be updated. They already know that okay. this is what I'm in here for. Yeah, it depends. Like, there's, there's quite a different scale of people working in the, mm. the production line, all the way from the entry to the high end. And yes, the, the leads are expected to always know what's going on. They are expected to make sure the entry-level staff, um, they know what's going on. Like that, that, that's the expectation. But obviously, there are challenges here and there. There's a lot of uh, infinite different combinations of parts that go into a PC, and then you have Windows Update. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So, 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 our job is to make sure that it's as it's as secure as possible. The testing process is watertight. You know, if something gets through, the support team is ready to help. As simple as that. Like the the key the key idea is that you know after shop if if, if a customer owns a PC you can contact us and somebody helps you it's straightforward yeah it's supposed to be as clear cut as possible right and like there's got to be some fun in there right in the sense that uh, do you get the engineers to actually do their own custom build offs and then after that oh of course so there's the there's a department for that essentially the water cooling department and where they get to be really creative and I think with I think there isn't so much excitement for the generic style builds, but for the for the really creative builds like water cool builds, the, the, we allow the staff to exercise full creativity, and they actually get they get they get full ability to experiment with new components, whatnot, and then they can propose what they want to see in the PCs. We try to give them that freedom. So yeah, that's that part's really exciting. There are products that are really exciting because they're one of kind. A big part of this podcast, right, is really not just knowing the business and how the business grows, but we also want to be able to find out, right who the the people behind the brands are you know they are human you and i we are all human but yet you're able to do something that a lot of people are not able to do and we're not trying to find out that secret sauce but really get to know you and learn uh, from all of that now you you were talking about being a competitive gamer very very competitive because of this obsessive nature of yours right and do you does it sometimes get the better of you yeah it does actually i i i for i mean I, for years, I found that, like even when I was playing games competitively, I found that it was too over the top sometimes, so I would get too into it, too aggressive, uh, why not? And I've, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of that. Even when I used to play games, I would, I would be um, just pretty aggressive in general. Like, uh, I'll, I'll take it very seriously um, and stuff. Like, I recently started playing playing uh, League of Legends, and I played 2,000 games in in um, I think it was a span of like three or four months. Like that's how insane, yeah. I, like that's how obsessive things are for me. Obviously, I'm trying to get. I'm, try, I'm trying to. I've, I started toning down already, but you know, I had. I, I just set a target for myself. I wanted a certain rank, and I wanted to go for it and see if I could still do it, even though I'm older. Um, yeah, I mean, the competitive nature is good, but you got to know where to tone it down. Like you got to know where to tone it down because, like you know, you have other, especially in the company now, you have a lot of people with you. You got to make sure that you, you compete, but you do it in a realistic way. And in a way that you know you deliver the best result for everyone from the team to the customers like you can't get let your emotions get the better of you right what was your first video game if you remember um the first video game i ever played was a game called rockman rockman uh, yeah rockman so it was was, in particular it was rockman 3. so it's like a side scroller like shoot him up kind of game where you kill a boss and get his power (laughs) yeah it was it was was a neighbor's house you know neighbor invited us over he had, he had a, a Nintendo console and he had Rockman and we, we saw it and we were in love. 
God. I was obsessed with games ever since. Like ever since then, I was like I got our own NES, and and after that the Game Boy, and then the Super Nintendo, and then the PlayStation One, the N sixty four, and it went from there. It was just a lifelong, lifelong love. I mean, the first PC games came when I went to Australia to study, and they issued me a laptop. So I got into a first-person shooter called Half-Life, and, and and then from there it was Half-Life and the CS, and then I got introduced to Real-Time Strategies, which was the Real-Time Strategy games, which was the first genre of games I went competitive on. Like I absolutely fell in love, like with the strategic aspect. So it was um, Age of Empires two. Oh yeah. wow, that was, that was a good game. Yeah, it's still good. It's, it's still popular. They remastered it, and it's got a big community oh, yeah. now. Yeah. No, isn't it so weird that all the games now, right? All the good ones, like uh, uh, even Total War Rome, is being remastered as well. Or it, yeah, that's that's not a, that's not a bad thing because, you know, um, I feel like the whole mantra for game development has changed. Like in the past, games it's just like it's just like us, right? We play games, and then the games are relatively easy to pick up back then. That's it's considered to be relatively easy to pick up, mm. and then you have your tabletop game guys where you need to read a freaking book before you can play the game because the rules are so complicated yeah D&D and what and so they look at us and they're like that's like casual so we are the generation that played like your Age of Empires or this that had a learning curve and the the trend today is they they design games in such a way that you can pick it up in three minutes Mm. you look at it and you immediately know what's going on and you can play there's no learning curve almost yes they, they develop it smartly so that there's a skill ceiling so for certain games like you know like Valorant or whatnot, they're great games. They're easy to pick up, but there's a very high skill ceiling. So that's the that's the development mantra now. But yeah, I'm still in love with the the previous generation of games where there was a learning curve, there's a certain depth of complexity to the learning curve, and yeah, I mean that's just the way games have gone. Yeah, all this gold, uh, so they say. Yeah, so the remastering the games is a good thing because you know that generation of games with this design ideology. Not to say this ideology is better, it's it's, it's still good. I mean, it still can be enjoyed by people today. Yeah, but sometimes it it does feel like you know um, the reason why you remaster something is because um, they're still really good and the new ones don't feel as good as the old ones. Sometimes well, it does feel that way. It is true to some extent. I agree for some games, but um, I think a big part of remastering is that when when developers develop games, like that's the Age of Empires series, and they keep developing new series, I feel like this is impetus to make sure like number three, number four, why not? They're all they're just impetus to make sure it's different from the predecessor. Like and sometimes when you make something different, it doesn't necessarily mean you make it better. Yeah, so that's why remastered games, you know, they have such popularity because sometimes something is just right, you don't need to change it. Yep. Yep. All they're doing is just upscaling the graphics, huh? and that's about it. Just leave the gameplay as it is, even if you upscaling the graphics, making a better interface, killing bugs, you know, creating a better ladder, community space. I mean, there's a lot you can do for older games which didn't have the, some of the technologies that new games have. Right. No, I really can't imagine if, let's say, for example, really in the world, right, technology is just completely stopped. We had to restart again and, you know, we're back to 386s and 486s again, right? <laughs> how our minds would just, like, completely get shut down because of something like that. Yeah, it'd be tough because you're pretty reliant on technology these days. <laughs> well, just imagine, just, just, just the feeling, like, take away your phone when you're out for a while and you're disconnected from the internet it's pretty uncomfortable I quite like it actually I, I like it when the time is right but if there's something I'm worrying about and I don't have access to my phone it might be quite uncomfortable Yeah, but I mean there's times when you just want it that way yeah. mm, absolutely absolutely so all of us gotta pick up a blue collar skill what's yours? <laughs> I've got none <laughs> oh, no. I'm, I, I'm, I'm almost purely a mental person I have like no 
like I can't think. I'm trying to think of what I'm good at in terms of like a blue collar skill. That's yeah. pretty hard. <laughs> things, right? Like uh, there's that big question, right? In society, if society falls in on itself, like zombie apocalypse kind of thing, I always have this scenario. If let's say, for example, it's really zombie apocalypse, somebody inside that group needs to do something. You must pull your weight. You must yeah. show your worth. What is your worth in that group? If there's a zombie apocalypse, I'd just be the meat shield. <laughs> <laughs> Boomer! Just run. Next floor. <laughs> uh, that's uh, like uh, zombie land. Yeah, people always imagine who were the fifth floor guys that you choose if there was a zombie apocalypse. They left for dead, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, uh, there's a new one coming up, right? Back for Dead? Yeah, I saw the news. I mean, I look forward to it. Left for Dead was quite a fun game. Yeah, that, that thing was crazy. Uh, we were inside land shops just making so much bloody noise back then. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty awesome. Quite a, quite a revolutionary concept. It, it was. Then after that, everything kind of played out to be the same. You know, then they had all the survival ones. Um, like, uh, what was it? Uh, un- not Until Dawn. Was Killing Floor. A lot of different zombie games too. Correct, correct, correct. You know, then now you're doing all these other things how do you even balance out your life right now it's, uh, i mean it's, it's not the best it's not the best that i'm I like like but i think it's good because it gets me in touch with the user base as well as well as like it's, it's good to have that once in a while i've had it multiple times in several years that i was working hard and doing business like i spent seven years just working i didn't do anything else like i didn't travel i didn't holiday nothing it was just seven years of just trying to push not just after shop but other companies that i started mm-hmm. other companies like omnidesk for example um but these companies the, the new companies that i started then they're, they're not there's a common misconception that the other companies are actually part of after shop which they're not um the companies that we have started elsewhere or in other in other industries are 100 percent separate from after shop after shop is completely standalone there's no combination of any brand they are run separately so i took what i learned from after shop and when i started new companies i would normally just um sort of handhold uh, the business partner all the way till they're able to run it solo and i let go and then from there i'll let them take like i said like i said the, the, the believing in people is a big thing so for the new companies i've started um i, I would normally mentor someone and they will just take full control and it's run independently there's no interoperation no no, no that there's no inter- interaction at all with Aftershock. Yeah, so... You don't even want to hold a directorship. I mean, we hold directorship for some, but I, in general, we're silent. That That is the that is the, 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 the main thing here. After, I only run Aftershock. And because oh. I want Aftershock to run according to my value system, like, I want to make sure that it delivers the experience to our customers as, you know, as basically as what I've envisioned. So I want to, I want to hold on to that very closely. Because Aftershock, even though it's no longer the biggest company that we run, uh, by, by quite a long shot, it is um, the closest one to my heart. Mm. Like I, I genuinely care about. Braver. I mean, I, I genuinely care about the mission at AfterShock, and I just want to see it deliver the best costly PC experience possible here. Just try to drive the industry forward. Nice. You know, uh, so this actually is does bring us to the next question. Uh, like from PCs, desks, chairs, you're involved in all of that, right? No, we, we don't actually do chairs. Mm, mm, mm. So chairs are actually done. Uh, yeah, so we're actually very close with um, the people, like good friends of the people from Labs. So we're very happy. Like they've they've just gone done amazing. Like we're just we're just completely like flawed by what they've managed to achieve. And so we, we specifically focus on PCs desks. Like even they had, had another company doing TVs and whatnot. And yep. and yeah, but but like I said, they are all separate companies. They're not run together. So that's a misconception we wanted to clear because people seem to think they're all the same company. So when Right. So, because always... like every business, every business owner has a different ideology or men- mentality for how their business sh- should be run, and I think that I wouldn't want to be involved on a day-to-day basis if 
if it doesn't follow my ideas. So that's why I'm so focused on Aftershock because Aftershock is within, fully within my control. So I try to make sure it lives up to you know to my, my my vision basically. Right. <clears throat> so what's next? Do you ask? Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, so Are you going to be going into esports? No, nah, just focus on expansion for now. We have some plans that might be quite interesting that I can't share today. Like uh, we think that might that might change the landscape in Singapore in terms of the hardware industry. But um, I mean, hopefully, not not not. I'm not going to say that it's going to, but hopefully that that's the idea. Um, we give it a shot. But yeah, we we want to keep improving. Like right now, the focus right now is just on the improvement of the existing what AfterShock's offerings are. Right, so we want to take things to a new level. Right, and what's this about chip shortage, right, in the world right now? It, so there, there's been a huge, there's been an absolute huge shortage of um, um, graphics cards, for example, because of um, because of not just increased demand, there's a multiple fold increase in demand for graphics cards because of the situation, because everybody's staying home. And on top of that, there's mining, right? So um, we specifically try not to sell mining rigs. Like, we try to avoid it because we want to make sure as many of our rigs as possible. Like, it was, it was, it, 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 like, that's an example of a business decision where we go for um, the long term and not the short game. Because during the, the first break outbreak when there was when when, the, when crypto prices inflated, people offering us crazy amounts for graphics cards, but we just refused to sell it, even though it, 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 they offered more than like a normal consumer rate. Um, even but the, the cost increased a lot as well. It's ridiculous. Like, like we we tried to keep the cost as reasonable as possible. So during the, the first COVID, you'll see the aftershock offered a better cost and almost even DIY even DIY. Like. We tried to make it as reasonable, but we wanted a long game, which is we wanted to get our PCs in the hands of our target market, which is power users, creators, gamers. That's our target market. And that's the people we want using to experience our PCs. Mm. And so we you know we rejected all you know, mass mining, whatever. Um, and we, we make sure we tried to make sure that our PCs went into the hands of you know the people that needed them for gaming, the people that needed them for creator work and professionals essentially. Yeah. Essentially, is your demographic the people? Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a long it's a, it's a long term, yeah, it's our community and it's a long term thing. Like we want, you know, our users to get our PCs. Like essentially, right? And you know, all these guys who are actually making all these like uh, mining rigs, right? And this, uh, <coughs> what do you think they will do once this? So this kind of let, let's take a look at the first wave of, of of mining rigs. Like the first the first Bitcoin thing. Like a lot of the companies disappeared after that. So like like they like it's it's hot, but once it's a short term play. Like mm. from my perspective, like it's not it's not long term looking. Like for us, it's simple. We we are here. The company is here to deliver the best custom PC experience for gamers and creators. And this is the target market that we want to serve, and we want to serve as well as possible. So we want to make sure that we're always serving this market first and foremost, and we want to make sure that we do the best possible job, and nothing should get in the way of that, even if it looks attractive. Right. And you early on you mentioned also how you keep your finger on the pulse by playing video games and all this, right? Now, um, do you also go deeper into the community to actually speak with them one to one, or do you have you already set up your community managers to do? I speak to quite a number of um, people in the competitive scene in games, like partially also because I used to be a competitive gamer. We were friends from childhood, um, but yeah, I think that that's an. I, 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 I do talk to people, but involved in esports, we do get involved in esports events and stuff, but not not so much at the moment. Although we have some plans to do so, um, and also, um, I guess you know, being in touch with the community is not just about it's just not just about playing the games themselves. It's also about following what's going on, you know, following the teams and whatnot. So, I think Singapore has a lot of room in terms of the esports space 
to do better. Like, on my my viewpoint on esports is very different from a lot of other people. Like, most people view esports as just competitive play, like creating the competitions to drive the people. But I think my personal opinion on that is that Singapore has a lot of room to grow in terms of community. Like, if we were to create, let's say there was a pool of money to to drive esports in Singapore, the most direct thing that most people might say would be to run esports tournaments and create prize money so that people are motivated to play. But I, I beg to differ on that. For example, I think I think that creating a community space where people can meet other gamers of a like mind, uh, create community events where they, like people just get together, uh, although that's not possible at the moment, and get to know each other, you know, highlighting people who are rising in the community, that would be a, a stronger play in terms of building building up that ecosystem required for us to create world class gamers. That, that's what I think. Right, and, and what's the setup to actually get something like that done? Um, well, you got to create first the community platform. <laughs> there needs to be a platform, the shared platform that everybody uses. And then on top of that, um, there needs to be some emphasis on just you know, gamers getting together, meeting other people who play the same game, you know, knowing them, uh, having a database of the clans and whatnot. I mean, just that's just a basic start. Like, we don't have that now. Like, I felt like that was stronger in the past than it is now. Like, back then, we had a very close, tight-knit community for Warcraft 3. There was all the teams. Everybody knew who was who. It was awesome. There was rivalries. I mean, yeah. the was happy memories. Right. Donald said the exact same thing when he came onto the podcast as well. That, oh, really? <laughs> um, today's gamers, yeah, today's gamers are very, very different about previously because when he, uh, you know, when he was also gaming at the time, his clan, or at least the group of, of, of gamers, that he, the team that he had, were also very... <coughs> Whereas the gamers today, the younger ones, it's about me, me, me. I just want to be up there as fast as possible. And it's not about the team, it's about me propelling. Yeah. So that, 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 I feel that's changed as well. Like, like back then it was always about the team, meeting people, the clan rivalries. It was awesome. And I think some of that could come back with the right push. Right. Um, yeah, honestly, it would be really cool if uh, Aftershock could actually uh, lead something like that, but you probably don't have the time, <laughs> to be honest. And if we could be that push, why not? All right, we are at the 40-minute mark. I think that's about as much time as I can get from you. But one last thing that we always do at the end of every show, right, is what if we do 10 questions, rapid fire, all right? And this is what you would call the epic questionnaire or 10 questions with our guests. Now, Marcus, we are you ready? Sure. Let's go. All right. Question number one. One word that you love the most. Starcraft. Oh, that's the first thing that came to mind, sorry. <laughs> Fine, fair enough. Hey, it just it says a lot. All right, one word you dislike the most. Um, seafood. Sea- seafood? Seafood. Yeah, okay. I don't eat seafood at all. <laughs> all right. If you could have a conversation with one personal, fictional, non-fictional, dead or alive, who would that be? Oh, David Kim. I don't know why I still think that. Like, he's a StarCraft balancer. So I used to be... My original dream before I did the company was to be a balance tester for RTS games. That was my aspiration when I was a kid. I always wanted to work in a company like Ensemble Studios or StarCraft. Mm-hmm. And, or, sorry, Blizzard and, and be, a, be a balance tester. <laughs> right. and, well, here you are today. I, I think you've got a brighter future. <laughs> All right. And what do you say to yourself in the mirror every morning? Cheer up. Because, you know, I'm, I'm innately a negative person. Like, I'm, I'm innately a um, pessimistic a pessimist. Um, 
and that, and my brother is an optimist. So essentially, um, you know, while things might be good, like to be a, while I think we have done well, at the same time, I, I'm a person that always is on the side of caution. And I think I want to, a personal goal of mine is to change that. I want to be a more positive person and, and look at the bright side of things. So instead of always looking, it's good to always look for like being a person that is on the side of caution is good. You always look for things you can improve on. Improve on. You're always worried about things and you always want to do things better which is what helped strike push us so far. But at the same time, you know, it, it may not be the best for your mentality or your health. And I, I just want to balance that out with a bit more positivity. Mm, interesting. There's nothing wrong with actually putting optimistic optimism together with uh, being a realist. Yeah, I, th- I think you need to find a balance and I'm not exactly that balanced. But then again, most people doing stuff like this are not that balanced, at least from my own experience meeting other business owners. Honestly, Usually people all, yeah, all business owners right have are chemically imbalanced. You usually they're quite to do what you want to do. <laughs> Alright, name one superpower that you like to have. Invisibility. Why? Why why not? I don't know. It just it just Yeah, because it's like sometimes some I just feel like it's the I don't know. Actually actually probably not. I always thought the best super two superpowers was invisibility and flight. For some reason, I, I thought they, they were. They, 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 I don't, the flight is all for obvious reasons, right? Or invulnerability might be might be pretty good. So these three, yeah. So I, it's just it's just. So why those three? You mean? No, no. One of those three, lah, is fantastic. Yeah, one of one of those three. I actually no invisibility probably not. Now that now that you mentioned it, I just thought it was a cool ability. But now that you mentioned it, invulnerability is probably the best, because yeah, like. It just means <laughs> you're unstoppable, right? <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Like, well, what would you do if you were Superman? Pretty much. Yeah, man, tell you. But okay, like, if, if I were Superman, of course I'd be, if I look like Superman, I'd be wearing those blue tights every day, man, tell you. If you look that good, huh, why not? <laughs> it's funny, it's just an interesting question. Like, why is this pretty? I really I should ask myself that own question. Just, I've always been a person that likes like, like to disappear in the background. Even the fact that I'm doing this podcast is not normal. <laughs> I've never liked to show. I, I've never liked to show up. Like, like, in, in general, like I, I've always liked to be someone who takes the, the backstage. Like I like to be, you know, running things from behind. So maybe that's why invisibility. I've, I've never liked to be seen so much. Though I try to open my mind to it and start taking on some of these um, conversations. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is a great thing. Uh, to be honest, I'm, the, like what you mentioned, you never, you rarely ever do this, and for you to actually come on because you know I, I asked you right. Uh, it's it's really an honor, la, that's for sure. You know. Mm. Uh, oh, thanks for having me. I still appreciate right, it. Oh, please. Uh, all right. Number six. This one is either the best or the worst question. Favorite dish to eat? Uh, I am good. So it's like a like a Indonesian Peranakan kind of. I'm not sure what it is. So it's a dish that my family makes. Yeah, I am. So I'm half Hakka, half Peranakan. So essentially, um. I'm Kunit is a, it's a dish that my family makes. It's like this chicken with heavily with, um, with like it's just a lot of chili on it and uh, garlic and um, turmeric. And I absolutely love it. And chicken curry is second. Nice. All right. Question seven. Favorite travel spot or the next travel spot you would like to go to once borders open up? Favorite travel spot, Japan. Next travel spot, Japan. So I'm hoping to go to Japan for a ski, for a ski season when it all just clears up. Absolutely love skiing. I want to learn snowboarding. Very cool. Now, something in the arts that you've always wanted to do, but yet to do so. 
Sorry, that got cut off. Can you repeat? Yeah, something in the arts that you've always wanted to do, but yet to do so. Huh, wow. I mean, I, I don't know about this question, but I could, but if, if content creation could be considered art, I always wanted to be a gaming streamer. Like, I, I actually intend to do it casually, eventually. Um, but I'm not an artistic person at all. I'm that guy that only draws stick figures in arts class. I'm, I'm purely like, 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 if you look at my brother and me, I'm the mathematical slash science guy, and he's the arts guy. So I'm essentially the guy in the arts class that only draws stick man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, it's something in the arts I want to do. I want to be a content creator. Like I, I want, I want to stream. I would love to stream, play on the ladder, and talk to, and talk to my audience. Like just talk to people about the gameplay. Like I play a ladder game. If you have some viewers, we discuss the game with them after the match is over. I mean, that that just sounds amazing to me. Donald, yo, you better be listening, huh? Donald, yo, I'm telling you, you better be listening because I want to play. You better get him on, okay? Now, number nine, what does retirement look like to you? Oh man, this is the question I've actually been discussing a lot with a friend recently. Um, well, if, if I were to retire, I would probably uh, I'd probably travel a bit and spend a lot of time gaming. Like I said, I would probably stream. Like that's actually my plan. I would if I, if I ever retire, I would probably stream and play competitive games. And if I, if I manage to secure an audience. Yeah, like like the uncle streamer or something, like whatever. Yeah. Like, but the, the idea is that the idea the idea is that um, I'll play I'll play competitive meta games, and if I had an audience, and I, and we might we might we might work out. I mean, I am a pretty politically incorrect person, so saying like discussing things or whatnot in a in, in a candid way might get it might get me some audience. But if I had an audience, we'd discuss the gameplay. Like, let's say we had a match in, in StarCraft or League or whatever. We after the game, you talk about what could have done better. When we went wrong, we go through the replay. I mean, I think that was so awesome. Like that, that was what I loved growing up. Like when I was a competitive gamer, I loved having all those sessions with my friends where we watch each other play, we, crit we critique each other's gameplay, look for rooms to improve, ways to improve. I mean, that's just a blast. I love to yeah, know, go back to some of those old days. Cool. Uh, yeah. Here's here's a. Uh, you can actually call your channel GG uh, Geriatric Gaming. Uh. <laughs> All right, number nine. Oh, sorry, number ten. How do you want to be remembered? What's your legacy? Well, I've never actually thought about this, but it, I, I don't really want... I mean, the people want to be remembered by... It, it is, as a person, it's just my family. I just want to be remembered as somebody who, you know, generally did the right thing. Like, if I want to be... I, I don't, I, I, I'm not really a high-profile person, so I think if I were to be remembered, I just want to be remembered as somebody who would do the ethical thing. That, that's it. That's, that's good enough for me. Like, just somebody who, like... You know, if you saw someone need help, you just give them a hand. Or if if, if, if something wasn't right, you call it out. You have the balls to call it out or, or whatnot. That's just good enough. Right. Nice. I really like that and I appreciate your time. Hey, thanks so much for spending an hour with us, you know, uh, and, and, you know, uh, attending to my every women fancy on this podcast. Now, ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you so much to my guest and uh to all of you, of course, for listening. And here again is Marcus Wee, the founder and MD of Aftershock PC. Go on down to aftershockpc.com and make sure you get your rigs really, really soon. While you're supporting them, I always ask for the same thing. Please support us as well. Like, comment, subscribe, do what you need to do uh, on YouTube or on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out. See ya.